Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 59, Act 1, Amanisha Ferdinand, Divine Self-Development, recorded October 22nd, 2022. All prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsi and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Hey, listenership was up at its highest level last season in 2022. Thank you so much for listening and thanks for being a part of our global community. Thanks for choosing this indie podcast. We love and appreciate you. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast player. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram and head over to teachingartistry.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merch, and more. Welcome to the first episode of season six, y'all. Six? What's happening? Amazing. All right. So I first met Amanisha through being on the board of the Association of Teaching Artists in either 2014 or 2015. And as you might know, the Association of Teaching Artists is now TAG. Um, upon meeting Amanisha as part of you know this work, uh, I immediately felt a kinship with her without a lot of words, frankly. Um, and so much of our, our engagement was actually digital, even before, you know, the now times. Um, and we have literally shared like physical space with each other a handful of times only. So in this episode, it's truly like, you know, old friends chatting and um, and and connecting and we're processing moments of our childhood journey where we're discovering self, we're discovering who we are, who we could be. And in this particular act, we hear about Amanisha's arts arts engagement and schooling, growing up, college career, and her pursuit of a career in theater, and then some early glimmers of working in arts education. Here is episode 59, Act One, Amanisha Ferdinand, Divine Self-Development. 
Good morning. I'm Anisha. Morning, Courtney. How are you, my friend? I feel good. Yeah. yeah. The sun is shining. It's mm-hmm. not too cold. Um, the sun is shining is a big is a big contributor to feeling good. Totally agree. Um, well, welcome to Teaching Artistry Podcast. Here, we like to celebrate artists, culture, and equity. And I'm super excited to have this conversation with you, which, it, frankly, I think is a long time coming. <laughs> um, and I want to learn more about your journey um, uh, in arts and art education and your thinking. And um, yeah, I want to get into it. You are located where? I'm in New Orleans. I'm from New Orleans. Um, I'm back home in New Orleans. I've been back home since 2008. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a while. This is the longest I've been home since I was a child. Mm, That's 14 years. Yeah. Okay, actually, in two years, I will be the same amount of time that I lived at home before I went away to college. Wait, were you 16 when you went to college? Yeah. It's a whole thing. My, My family... So we grew up in the Lower Ninth Ward, and my parents and aunts and uncles and other community members, they started a school. Um, They were all, like, active in the civil rights movement, and I think more specifically in this Pan-African movement, which was around really connecting us back to our African ancestry and culture. And so they started a Hediana Work Study Center, this little school. And since they started it, they could start us at whatever age they wanted to. So uh, we all started school early for the public school system, but it only went up to third grade. So then we ended up, when we went to public school, um, some of us were like much younger, so they would hold us back. Um, But we were still, I guess they just must've really started us young since they started their own school. So most of us graduated younger than the other folks who, had to start school or whatever the government mandated age was and and do you remember going to that school oh yeah it was great yeah what was something that resonates or sticks out for you in the morning uh we all stood in a circle and we would do these poems or these songs and then we would do tin harambes together um uh, like oh god and what's funny is when I started teaching kindergarten, I was like teaching them the same, the same poems. Cause I remember doing when I was little, I can't do anything. I can't be anything big or small. Uh, and I don't remember this, something short or tall. And then it ends with, because I can and I want to. Yeah. And like, I don't know how old, four years old. And I remember those movements, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would do Harambe, Harambe, 10 times. And the last one is Harambe. <laughs> yes. Can you explain what Harambe is? Uh, well, I, so funnily, in the new wave of, 
public charter schools where they're like trying to do this. I saw the Harambe came back and mm -hmm. it was, uh, I didn't know the name of what it meant, honestly, as a kid, it was a thing that we did together. I'm sure they told us, but I didn't remember. Mm -hmm. And so as an adult, it came back and was like, oh, let's all come together. Let's all pull together to work towards this thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we did, I mean, we, we learned, it was kind of like a rural school in some ways where I don't think we had grades. Mm. We were all maybe younger kids in one classroom and older kids in one classroom. Um, and I remember laying on the cots for nap time. I remember running around and climbing trees. I remember we had a fun run in the neighborhood where we ran around the, the, the block. Um, different family members coming to bring food, cooked food for lunch, getting hit on the hand with a three-sided ruler. Ooh. That was not a positive part of the experience. And uh -huh. we've talked about that in retrospect, like hmm, some of that discipline was a... That community learning, it being rooted in, you know, African culture and concepts, it sounds like. Um, what does that mean for who you are right now? There's this Bible verse around raise up a child and the ways, I don't know it exactly, raise up the child, you know, in the ways you like and they won't depart from it. Well, when we went to public school, like third grade, I realized how different we were. Like I had these little Afro puffs in my hair and we all had these Kiswahili names and we didn't eat meat and we brought our like, vegetable-based lunches and I didn't like it I didn't like feeling so different and I didn't like my hair being different I didn't like my clothes being different I didn't like my food being different and I think I spent really a lot of time from that third grade definitely up until oh, shoot I don't know I mean I'm, I'm, I love myself now and I'm 45 years old. So I don't know. We'll pick, pick, pick some span of time. But I definitely think I really, I tried to depart from it uh, because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like other people. I mean, when we were all in the lower ninth ward, we were all, we lived in the same neighborhood. We had our own community. So even though everybody in the, in the neighborhood wasn't like us, we had, I had enough community where I was fine. And even when we, when we would get together for family things. It was just different, I think, going to a place with a whole bunch of kids my age. And that level of difference, I think, made me really want to depart from it. I wanted, um, I think even in college, yeah, moving to New York. I remember in high school, actually, some of my older cousins, like, they never permed their hair. Um, one had locks, the other one had like a flat top and they, <laughs> they really, they were like, this is me, this is who I am. And I just remember being like, yeah, no, I, I, I don't want that. I want to blend in. Um, can I ask is, um, <clears throat> culturally in terms of your public school, what was it like? Yeah, I just feel like New Orleans is pretty much New Orleans is our culture, right. um, but I, there is, there is some difference. The elementary school was racially diverse. My, my aunt, who was one of the people that started Ahidiana, 
needed to find a school for the oldest of our family, my cousin. Mm -hmm. He had gone to the neighborhood public school at, after the third grade ended at Hedion and it was horrid. So she really shopped around the whole city to try to find um, what school would have a education style that at least closely mirrored theirs. And so Jean Gordon had that. And it was also racially diverse, which our school wasn't. Ahidiana was just all black kids. But so that elementary school was uh, racially diverse with teachers and in students. And then the other schools, also the same. Uh, New Orleans had been mostly black folks, white folks, Vietnamese folks, and um, some Indian American folks. So I think that was pretty much the population majority being black and white, and then a minority being um, Vietnamese American and Indian American. Yeah, I'd say that was both of them. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't specifically, I would jumped all the way to adulthood. So I, I appreciate you saying like, actually, can we focus on the transition? <laughs> and what that is, that is, was a better place to start uh, this part of the conversation. But um, uh, I'm curious about what you said about wanting to blend in and um, from a, from a, thinking from a sense of, or a lens of arts I feel like there are many cultures where like arts is is not pulled out uh right it's like it's completely inherent and integrated into <clears throat> how we look at clothing how we look at how we you know right and food and that all of that is art <clears throat> so I'm just curious from from a nine or ten year old perspective you know, going from one school to the other school, what were you beyond like understanding I, or feeling I want to blend in? Uh, you know, what, what other sort of noticings, curiosities or questions were you having about engaging uh, academically, engaging in the arts, um, community? So when we were kids, we went to Hidiana. We also also took piano class. Um, we went to a piano teacher for piano class. And um, we all went to dance class. Uh, and we all took karate. <laughs> so there was something like the there is a there is an intentionality around education, not just academically within the school, but um, artistically and physically. <clears throat> like their mindset was really around a very holistic uh, education. And even though there was no religion, there was a Sifa that I remember we did say in acknowledging the creator mm. um, who created us. But I don't, I don't think I really had a concept of art. Um, and even my father, I realized, um, He's a healthcare professional, but he was a painter and his paintings were all up in the house. There was there were paintings all over the place and sculptures. Uh, but I also I still I don't remember art being talked about. So I don't think I had a concept of it, honestly. Um, when I I did love 
performance. I always loved performance. Uh, I really enjoyed dance class. So I do remember I took violin. I stayed after school for violin class in elementary school. But I think also my parents made it so we all had to pick another instrument. So everybody, cousins, brothers, sisters took piano class. We went to piano teacher. But at some point in time, they told us we needed to learn another instrument too. And sure. I guess I chose violin. And even when I went into high school, I played in the orchestra. I played violin. But once again, I there's no connection for me mentally with that in art. And then I went to... um we have a theater called Le Petit Theater here in the French Quarter. And I went for the summer to the musical theater program. Um, and then I went after school to NOCA, which was a, a creative arts school for their dance program. And then once I got into high school, I went there for their theater program. And so I went half day to the art school for theater and half day to my regular high school. And then I also joined a, a dance school. So in the evening, I would go to dance class. And we'd go to dance competitions um, <laughs> and we we're all black uh, dance school again. And we go to these dance competitions where there are like literally no other black dance schools there. Sure. There might've been schools there. It was majority white and they might've had a smattering in some of these groups or troops of like brown skinned girls, but no other program that was just all black. This is in the um, early nineties. And we felt really good and we won a lot of awards. And, um, but once again, when you say the word art, I, I have no concept looking back at thinking of any of that around art, thinking of our food as art, thinking yeah. of our music as art. Um, it just was. It just was. And I think that's probably why I struggle with this narrow definition of artistry now, because yeah. I, I, I don't, I didn't have a broadened idea of it then. I don't know if I, you know, anybody has as a kid really is like, why don't I have more arts in my life? Like, I don't think kids think like that, <laughs> but, <clears throat> um, you know, like from my, my grow growing up, um, you know music just was always playing in our house and it was different genres but I didn't know that there were different like I didn't know what they were or that there were many different genres or who I just was listening to whatever they listened to right I wanted to do something that was performative and I would try different things um and then when I was like okay well I know what that is now or I have a sense of that okay and then I'd move forward to a new thing I was a dabbler is what I'm starting to call myself <laughs> as I examined like who, what I was doing when I was little. Um, but I always felt like I had to ask, I was never told you're going to do this. I always had to be like, I had to identify something and then they'd be like, okay, let's do that. Um, which I think is interesting, <laughs> but I was, I was not allowed to quit or quitting was like frowned upon. I did quit. I definitely moved on. <laughs> but it was always like a struggle and a debate and a like, or just like, I just, I basically ghosted orchestra in seventh grade. I wasn't calling it that. I just would go to study hall instead of orchestra. And then I was, and you, you know, it was for a grade. It was a class. And so 
there was, a, I guess, a note that was sent home or so, I don't know. Somehow my parents found out and uh, it, it was like, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, I just don't want to do it anymore. You can't just stop. And I was like, but I did. I did stop. <laughs> but you can't actually just stop. And I, and I was like, well, let me explain why I stopped. And when I explained why I was like not feeling it anymore, um, I still, it wasn't, it was begrudgingly like, okay, well you have to at least finish out the semester and then you can sign up for a different class. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And so I would just show up and like go through the motions, but not do anything. (laughs) I was a little rebellious. I was, I don't know what I was thinking. I was very sassy and well, now that you've described it as dabbling, it's really, I mean, I have two nieces, um, early teen, mid teen nieces, and I'm rethinking now this idea because I, because I chose my things and I really yeah. stuck to my things. Yeah. I think I would have that same mindset as your parents. That's what you do. You choose, yeah. you choose your things, you stick to your things, but trying things is also of great value. And a person who is interested in like trying out things, there's, there's a, I mean, I've been sticking to these two things all my life. <laughs> Theater. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask that question actually. It was like, why those two things, what were them? What was it about dance and theater competition, et cetera, that um, kept you, you know, sticking? I mean, on one hand, I would say it's because I was good at them. People said I was good at them and I like to do things that I feel good at. Um, it's interesting that they're both physical though Mm. maybe there is something about me that I'm only just thinking about my sister um, inherited my father's visual arts genetic talent and she tried to teach me to draw like a face when I was younger and she's like you just do this and then you do this and you do this and I like literally did the same thing I did this and I did that and and it did not look like a face at all and I'm like, this is, I, I can't do it. And I hated that feeling of, of being crappy at it. And yeah, I was like, I can't draw. Clearly I can't draw. Um, so I think maybe that's a combination. Like that's what I was good at. And that's what people said I was good at. And I felt good. I really did feel good doing it. I felt good being up on that stage dancing. I felt good being up on stage in character, acting. Yeah, I mean, for NOCA, you have to, I don't know if you have to audition for the after-school program, but I think for the after-school dance program, like you have to audition for those programs. And so to get in is a validation that, hey, you're good at this, so keep going with it. And then you get to New York and they're like, you suck at everything, you are horrid come back tomorrow that's exactly what it was like i would see people be excited about drawing and i'd be like oh that's not i will try it oh no i'm not very good at it and i don't really understand it and it's not like it's not hitting something inside me that i have no words for that ignites something to make me want to learn more or do more or expand into um and that i think that's what i was always looking for was like what was the thing that was always hitting that like that deepest part of me that had no words for that I understood, but I would just know. (laughs) Yes. When you did hit something that hit something, Mm -hmm. 
did you keep going with it? No, I would run away. I was scared of it. But uh, when I was a kid, I, w- I might be scared of it or I would do it in ways that made sense to me but may not be public. So, for example, um, you know, acting definitely hits that thing um, for me. Um, and um, when I was I was younger, I was I was quite shy in public. But if I was in a show, I mean, I ba- at rehearsals like I would barely do anything and then I'd blow out at the at the performances. Right. And I would do all this work at home. But it was harder for me to do that, you know, if it wasn't the real thing if that makes sense. So like practice, um, and rehearsal, I've gotten better I've, over time. I've gotten a lot better, but <clears throat> when I was little, it was, it was a little more challenging for me to do that. Um, and so that's what I mean by like, I would sort of like hide a little bit. And I think that the, t- I think, I think that this is sort of emblematic of who I am. Like when I was in 11th grade or when I went to high school, there were a lot of very talented people where I went to school a lot. And like people, there was like choir and chorus and you had to audition for all these places. And and in my freshman year, I auditioned for um, a play. I did not get in. And I sort of used that as an excuse not to keep trying. And then in um, my junior year, there was um, a play that I was like, all right, I kind of want to audition. And I missed the audition. And then there was an open house. And I was there because I was part of a club. And I noticed that the the directors were still in the auditorium because wherever I was perched was nearby. And I just thought, well, would it hurt to ask if you could still audition? So I walked in. I asked. I sang a song. I belted the crap out of that song for these three people as opposed to doing it in a larger space, right? With all the others. And then they were like, okay, thanks. Well, the cast list will be up tomorrow. And I looked and I was on, I was on. And I hadn't, I had no, I was like, don't get your hopes up. Cause like that was, they were doing something nice for you. <laughs> I did not have to do that. And then I was in and I was a part of the ensemble. I didn't have like a, a main part, but I, it, that, that of that time, like I still tell those, those uh, sorry, uh, sorry, it was a student run production. So it was my peers who were the directors and the choreographers and the music director. And um, that, the fact that they said yes, I think unlocked something for me going into my future. Um, so I definitely credit them <laughs> a lot for part of my journey. But I was, yeah, so I was, I was never that person who was just going to burst out onto the scene and like get the, the, the lead roles right away. Like I, it was the first time I realized like, oh, you actually have to work at something. If you want something bigger than what you're doing now, you have to work at it. And I thought, um, especially being a part of that ensemble, I was like, I'm learning, I'm learning ensemble. I'm learning how to work together. I'm learning like, oh, there's this whole like backstage thing. I learned so much from that one production that definitely like was a bridge to me learning more when I went to college and ultimately became a theater major. But I, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't curious. I wasn't understanding. I wasn't doing any of that work prior to that moment, except knowing that I really liked to sing and I really liked to act. But I never asked to go to like acting classes or dance classes or singing class. I didn't ask for any of those things. So I didn't get them. But you did try other things. Mm-hmm. I tried photography. 
which I, I do still enjoy, but I don't do it, uh, as a professional or anything. Um, I, I took a class in, um, film and television and I actually really enjoyed that. I thought, I actually, I thought going to college, I was going to be in film, uh, I was going to be in TV, um, and then flipped over to theater. But, uh, I was really interested in like what I think is called show, show producing <laughs> because I didn't, like I was interested in making shows and, and I thought, you know, like comedy and news might be interesting. So I like, if I had pursued that, I could have been in like the daily news lane. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, and, and, and I, you know, who knows, I can still do that if I wanted to, but um, yeah, that would, so that was the dabbling piece and and even with the violin which really is actually really really funny is the year before seventh grade and sixth grade um I was like I kind of enjoy just playing like I don't want to be an orchestra I just want to go to class and the way that it was set up was that you know you had to play in the orchestra like the class was for orchestra and I didn't understand those things I was like can I just come and like come to class and not be in the orchestra and we had a new teacher and she was like listen why not why don't, why don't we try this for a month? This is the top of school. I literally came to her and made a proposal. <laughs> she was like, that's not quite how it works. But what what if you come to class and you learn, you know, you're learning so that we can play together and you come to orchestra and see, and see just see how it goes. And I was like, okay, that's fair. And I ended up being like second seat or something like that. And she pr- put me forward for like some like county competition and I saw my old teacher at that competition who said who was like oh I thought you were gonna quit orchestra and I was like well I got a better teacher (laughs) (laughs) such a dick I'm such a dick um and then that teacher that same yeah teacher was the one in seventh grade and so I I might have made her a scapegoat but I also this is just a lesson in like how teachers can inspire or not inspire you. And I was like, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to be an orchestra. I want to learn how to play. So like one of the things that um, I did to get ready for that competition was I had asked my dad, I was like, I need, I need lessons. I need to be, I want to win. And I want, <laughs> I want to do well for this. And I want to do well for Miss Dunaj. So all summer long I did, I don't know if it was the summer, but I remember it being warm. So I would go to these private lessons and I would play and I would play at home. And my dad was like, this is amazing. Maybe you're going to go into an orchestra. And I'd be like, maybe, but I don't know. I'm just enjoying this right now. Um, and I'm excited about this competition. <laughs> Can I tell you, you're hitting a, a, a flip that I'm realizing in myself. Like I, I preferred orchestra than I would have to having one-on-one class time with a teacher. And why why I'm telling you this is <clears throat> this is just hitting me is because okay, before we started talking, I was talking about my challenge with oh um am I an artist if I'm not creating anything? Mm-hmm. Uh because there was this um really small residency application that just required you to create a a dance 
where they would give you some studio time, you'd get a really small stipend, you'd get some professional um, headshots and dance photos done, and a little um, showcase. And you just had to make something with some of these different, you could choose a prompt. And I had, it was scary, interesting. I've never choreographed something, mm. really, uh, never for myself. I did a couple of small things for um, uh, a friend's show, but it wasn't big. Um, and so I had picked a piece and I had an idea of how it would start. And I was so nervous and scared. It was like the last day. And I've been going to this dance class. It's just been really wonderful, which is taught by um, Maritza Mercado Narcisse, which is just so much of moving how your body moves and moving through space and then um, connecting with the other person that you're moving through space with and having conversation with them. And then learning a phrase and allowing everything that we've done and just noticing our bodies move, allowing that phrase to just fall upon us, you know? Mm. So, and it's just been, I've been finding things in my movement uh, that felt amazing. And so I go into the studio to use the space and I'm trying, I've got my first, I know it's gonna start in this like concave position and something is gonna melt. I felt that would, would be the start. And I tried it, recorded just to see, it's like, oh no, that's not actually what I thought it would be. Then tried it again, nothing was coming, Courtney. Tried it and recorded. So, oh, okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry about recording. It just moved through the space. I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anything. So I ended up just leaving. Here's coming. And I wanted to make sure I get out there because my friends were like so supportive. Oh, yes, yes, use the studio. Let us know if you need any help. You need any encouragement. Go. And I didn't want them to see me. And I just drove home and I'm like, I'm not an artist. I don't make anything. You lied to yourself thinking because you did that in that dance class. You can do something on your own. And then I was like, I've never made anything. Like I was an actor. I said other people's lines. I was a dancer. I did other people's moves. I've never made anything. And I, I thought I kind of duped myself because of this freedom in the class. How I'm getting back to your orchestra thing is I was telling friends and they're like, maybe you just create better with people. And, and hearing you say that you didn't really want to do orchestra, you really just wanted to learn the thing. I was like, oh, shit, that's such a flip for me, because I would not want to just be in the place where I, I really want to be in the place where other people are playing. And it's, I was like, oh, this is, this is a, an inherent part of me. And I had been making things in this class with Maritza and these other people moving through space but because I had grown up without this with art having such a narrow definition for me and acting not really being art and dance and dance school not not what I associated with art mind you that when it came time, I think, for me to go in the studio to try to make a little movement piece, my brain defaulted to what I thought making a movement piece is in the definition of dance, and I couldn't do it. 
and even as I'm talking this through, it's really hard for me to release. I still feel like a, like a real movement artist would be able to do it by themselves, you know, even mm -hmm. though I get to this understanding, like I create best with people. Mm -hmm. But then the back, but then my, my, my back mind says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But all these other artists can create by themselves. So yeah. I had, I did not know that I defined artists as a child mm -hmm. and defined it in a way that I didn't place myself within it. And so now 30 years later. And also because no adult ever defined it in a way that placed me in it. Now that I gave the example of the just wanting to take the class, I think part of it was I didn't want to, the pressure in an orchestra setting because I had to work at it. It wasn't something that came natural. I, I enjoyed it, but it was like I was perfectly happy to not be seen in certain ways and I wanted to be seen in other ways and, and none of it made sense. <laughs> um, because I feel what you're talking about in terms of creating with others like that, I don't, I, at this point don't know how to do, I know what my contribution looks like to an ensemble or a team, even with this podcast, like I'm the leader of this, but I can't do all of it without these other folks. And so I know what my role is. The creative role is I have this crazy idea. Let me share it with the group and see, and then have them make it better. <laughs> right. It's the same thing. I have an offer in a, in a studio. And if there's nobody else around, where does the offer go? I, I don't know. I've, ne I personally have never made anything on my own. I've, I've been given a monologue or a scene and then given direction on how to do that. But the making has always been with others. One other, multiple others, whoever, and where we start with a question or a stimuli or whatever and where we end up is always going to be so, in my opinion, always going to be so much stronger because I, I was working with other people. This is a, a little bit of a jump. Okay. When you were asking once again about culture, uh, when I was uh, growing up, describe the culture of the school, um, art and culture in New Orleans, uh, and me not wanting to stand out. When it came time for me to apply for um, colleges, I knew I didn't want to go to, my sister was at Howard. Um, my father went to Howard Medical School, but I didn't want to go to an HBCU. I didn't want to study black theater. I think that I, I'm really, I'm trying to think back, like what, what did I associate these other Western theater styles with? I don't think I had that concept. It's just, I think that rooting, that like rooting from a Hediana, 
where we sang the song, be a strong African, give good example. Mm -hmm. Be a strong African, give good example. Develop body, develop mind, develop soul, develop consciousness. And like we're marching, right? Mm -hmm. There was, uh, I, I ran away, I think, from it when I got into the real world of third grade Portland's public schools and saw that that wasn't how all of these other folks were living and I wanted to be like them. It impacted also the type of art, I think I, I don't want to use the word art, the type of theater I wanted to do or didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. It sucks. I just think it sucks. It sucks that I, I'm not blaming myself It when I say it sucks that I made these choices as a young person. Um, I'm just thinking about like, well, actually, there was in college, I think I did started to lean because in college, it was I was around more white people, I will say. Where did, where did you go to college? Uh, University of Miami. And so, yeah, my in New Orleans, the schools I went to were racially diverse, but I never felt like a minority or anything there mm -hmm. um, at the University of Miami. I was one of three black people in the theater department. There was one black girl um, who's now my best friend who was in my class and then one black girl who was a sophomore, but she left halfway through my freshman year. So we were two black people in the entire theater department. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually the shift of, that's where I think the shifting started where I was like, well, where's Where's, where's my blackness showing up here? Where am I showing up here? I remember in um, singing class, uh, I wanted to do, what's the name of that song? There was a boy, native, a very singing-handed boy. No, you travel very far, very far over land and sea. Mm -hmm, the greatest things. It's just to love and be loved in return. Hush. Uh, I think it's called Native Boy. Um, and my voice teacher said I couldn't, he wouldn't let me learn how to sing that song because it wasn't appropriate. It wouldn't get used for anything. He said no. You came into a singing class with a song and he rejected the song why because because it would you couldn't sing it somewhere i'll have to tell you how i remember it or how my feeling remembers it because i can't remember this words but he rejected the song mm -hmm. it wasn't appropriate and for what reason maybe i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to sing it or it wasn't one that would be sung anywhere what's the name of the song i'm gonna find it okay. but i remember it was it was it was sung by a black man whose name like famous who sings chestnuts roasting on an open fire nat king nat cole, cole. Mm -hmm. so it was sung by nat king cole nature boy mm. nature boy yes 
And because it was sung by Nat King Cole, I thought it was a really haunting. Now, now mind you, I couldn't sing it because I'm not a singer. <laughs> I was a straight up drama major, but we all had to take singing class. Yeah. It wasn't musical theatery enough or whatever it was. I just remember thinking, well, this is a black black man singing this song and I um, want to sing it. So it was, um, I'm just looking it up. Nature Boy is a song first recorded by American jazz singer Nat King Cole. And it was released on March 29th, 1948. So it's a jazz song. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. But it was singing class. We could bring anything we wanted to learn to practice yeah. to sing. So again, why? <laughs> why did he reject it? Or let's instead of why did he, but like what did that do for you? What did it do or to you? Yeah, it was, I've, I, I cannot remember what he said, but I do remember feeling there was a blackness rejection happening in that, in the choice of song. I'm reading the lyrics. You got to listen to it. It's, it's a haunting melody. It's a beautiful melody. This is, this is Moulin Rouge. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Something like that, right? Yes, yes, yes. Ah, so they did use it in musical theater. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, I listen. I grew up in New Orleans, Orleans, a black city. I mean, there's diversity here, but you, I, when I growing up, oh no, you absolutely think of New Orleans as a black city. Yeah, and black uh, culture, and like the second line, and, and I, you know, I'm not uh, as well versed in it, but like you know, you know, and and should be embracing. Yeah. So that, yeah, that was a thing. Uh, in our freshman year, our voice teacher, like voice and speech, everybody was talking in class and she said, now y'all let's be like the quiet white folks and not like loud black folks in this space to get us to quiet down. And me and the other black girl, remember, we're a class of 20 freshmen and we're, we're two black people. And she was like, oh, if anybody's offended, you can come talk to me after class. <laughs> so we went talk to her after class. Yeah. But, but this is like, this was probably my shift now that I really think about it. Like, okay, this whole fitting in, which really meant like dominant white culture thing is not, it's not actually what I want. Because actually, when I was thinking of fitting in, it wasn't a dominant white culture. It was what I would, dominant black culture, which was like cool and hip hop and jibbo jeans and polo shirts and travel fox shoes and mm-hmm. and perms and stacks and things that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think being in that space, it took a long time. I went to visit my sister at Howard during spring break. Um, Because one of my friends from high school also was at Howard. And (laughs) I had the Anita Baker bob. And I had just gotten some blonde highlights. And my hair is very black. So I looked like a tiger. (laughs) (laughs) It was like an orangey blonde highlight on black straight hair. And I went to visit them. And my sister had her hair cut off like really short. And she looked gorgeous. Um, And her and her roommate were like, let's cut your hair. 
and, and come on, let's cut your hair. And I was like, oh, okay. And so they cut off all my perm and I had this short little boy, boy haircut as I felt at the time because I'd, my, I felt like I didn't look beautiful like my sister did with my hair all cut off. Um, but now that I think, I think that was a moment. It wasn't like I became a radical shifter, but it was a moment, I think, that started shifting me to wanting to actually identify who 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 are you, Amanisha. Mm-hmm. So when did you go to college? Nineteen ninety four. Okay, great. And um, so sometime in your college career, you went natural. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a part. That was part of a new. I don't want to, you know, make it sound like huge or anything, but like it was a a new way of embracing more of who you are yeah 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 it was part of a new way of embracing yeah more of who I was providing a little bit more pushback I think mm-hmm. back in the theater department they did dancing at Lunasa I think my junior year and had a guest director come in and by this time they had I think five black kids in the next class under me or three to five, um, but we weren't allowed to, well, the freshmen aren't allowed to audition for place, but me and um, the other black student weren't allowed to audition for it because it was an Irish play. We're like, but we're, we're here in this theater department. <laughs> this is our, this is our, our program, our major, our money. I think they made it up by the time uh, we were seniors, we did the colored museum. Mm the first time in the theater department's history they had enough black people to do the color but I do remember um me and my friend chose to switch parts um I think there was one where she personality wise would have been a more easier fit and then and I would have been a more easier fit and we decided to stretch ourselves and do the opposite ones. And I forgot about that, actually. I think that was, yeah, me starting once again to, oh, who are you, Amanisha? Mm-hmm. I was going to say as an artist, but once again, I don't think that was in my, mm-hmm. my vocabulary. Who are you as an actor? They ended up, we started with a class of 20. We ended with a class of three what they did a really big cut uh i think between junior and senior year and it ended up with me the other black girl and this one white guy people had dropped you know from freshman to sophomore year and then other folks from sophomore to junior year but i think we might have gone from like eight or ten to three i think that might have make me feel some validation again about oh I'm good at this you know mm-hmm. I got kept but also I think probably cemented a desire to only to not take risks do the things that you're good at no that can't be true because when I moved to New York I ended up taking singing lessons and that was horrible <laughs> it was, because we had to, I had to record myself. Oh. And then 
go home and practice the scales and things and listen to myself on the, the dictum. Yourself? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not a singer, so. <laughs> but I was, I'm an actor and a dancer, and there isn't really a role for you in musical theater. You can be an actor singer or you can be a dancer singer in the chorus. Um, so if I wanted to, like, get some role, I needed to at least be able, like, I think I auditioned for Thoroughly Modern Millie and I was able to make the cut yeah. to, to the singing part. I've made the dance cuts. Uh -huh. And then you got to come in with your 16 bars. Was this the one with Sutton Foster? I don't remember, child. No, no. It, no well, Sutton Foster wasn't in the first one, right? No. I don't think so. I don't think so because this is in the um, early 2000s. I feel like Sutton Foster was in the... Whoopi was attached to this, I feel like, when I when I did it let's just like do some chronology when did you graduate from college and when did you go to um new york 98 graduated from college in 98 moved to new york in 98 okay. um this would yeah 2002 oh oh wow look at that yeah i guess i just totally blocked it out once i didn't get it it says shirley ralph too it says Sutton Foster and Cheryl Lee Ralph. All I knew was Whoopi Goldberg was attached when I was auditioning. Maybe she was producing? Yep. And so I was really excited about that. And it was tap, which I was really good at. I was really excited about that. I never saw the show. No. <laughs> I didn't see it either. I remember I remember it because at that point I was in grad school. So I was paying I was like somewhat paying attention to things that were happening on Broadway, but and I don't think I saw it. You have this like very, it sounds like a very intensive theater program. My program was completely not the same <laughs> at all. I was one of two and the other person of color was a, was a Afro Latino. And, uh, and so we were very, very different and there was no like competition, but I do remember auditioning for a, a role that was a male role, but it was the, it was the only like person of color in this play I thought, you know, I might as well, I might as well, even though I, it wasn't, it wasn't even like I need to get cast. It was more to make a, like a point, like I'm auditioning for this one role and then I didn't get cast <laughs> because guess who got it? He did because <laughs> it was a male character. Um, and I ended up being like a runner for that show and it was, it wasn't a great show anyway. And I was like, Meh. but, but there, there was a lot of that, but that was sort of like, like that was very much a norm for me was to always be one of one one of two one of three in any given room or space so it didn't feel abnormal actually <laughs> to me at all because it was just the way it was and being in college like it was it was majority white and it, that was just the way life was where I grew up or how I grew up if that makes sense um so there wasn't any like I didn't have the critical consciousness that I have now in any way, shape or form. There was just this expectation that everybody, like if you're a theater major or if you're involved in the theater, like you are involved in every single production, whether you're a cast or not. And we didn't have that tiered, like you can't audition until a certain time because it wasn't an acting major. It was a theater arts major. And so everybody was expected to audition. Everybody was expected to then, if you weren't cast, be a part of a, any production. And everybody was expected to be at strike for each production. What that ultimately did for me was it, it created some, 
like where I went to school, it was a big party school and I definitely had a lot of fun, but it created some uh, sense of responsibility about how theater is a discipline and that there's rigor here. Um, and, and it gave me, it was like such a breeding ground for so much learning because I knew, like I said earlier in, in high school, that one production, like I was, I was noticing that there were all these things like, oh, you can be directors and you can be choreographers and you, there's text state, like all the stuff that I wasn't paying attention to when I was in grade school in any class, in any plays. And then <clears throat> in the theater program, now I'm like expected to be either doing costumes or building sets or light board. Like you, you just have to fill a role and do it. And then even if you don't know it, you have to learn it. So and I wanted to be good at things. <laughs> so it was, it was that sort of, that was my focus less so on like where are all the other black people for me, my personal experience there. Um, not that there were not black people in the school there were, and I, you know, I engaged with people in different ways, but like, um, in the theater, it just was like, for me, the way I was thinking about it was, this is, this is the way that you're going to get better at something that you actually love and learn all the stuff that you don't, you, you never knew existed. So to, to, you know, hear about that sort of validation that you need for, for me, the validation was I'm growing in my skills and people are starting to see that. So by the time I was my junior and senior year, I'm getting lead roles Whereas earlier I was getting like bit parts or, you know, um, what do they call those tree parts? <laughs> um, not speaking roles. And, um, uh, and then I, you know, I was directing and I was, you know, and I was, I was being seen as like, Oh, you are a leader in this department. Um, which is, you know, nice. And I was the, pre- I was elected the president of the Alpha Psi Omega fraternity. <laughs> It's a theater fraternity. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like great. It was just because like I could do stuff. And they were like, I liked Courtney. <laughs> I, I feel like there's been other places where like I say one thing and people are like, she's smart. Make her the <laughs> You lead us, please. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that was that was, you know, a different kind of theater experience. But when I when I when I left school, I didn't feel like I was ready to do auditions in any way. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of studying and singing or, or like really any sort of acting foundation that was concre- concrete or based off of like a technique. I knew how to perform very well. I had a lot of performance skills, but not a whole lot of like, how do you build this character from the ground up skills? So that was my focus when, while you're auditioning from Thoroughly Modern Millie, I was like, how do I act? You yeah. know what's funny? I ended up taking Meisner class. I ended up taking acting class in New York. Mm-hmm. I think what's mad about it, maybe I've always been chasing this idea of being an artist. I don't know what, what, why? Why was I doing that? Maybe I thought that I, I mean, University of Miami had a conservatory program. So like freshman year, almost all of our classes were in a theater department except for like two liberal arts classes outside Mm. so it was and then sophomore year it was still most of my coursework was still in a theater department but maybe like four liberal arts classes outside so it was a lot of training really great training and all kinds of things Mm. 
set design, lighting design, costume design, stage makeup, hand-to-hand -hand stage combat, yes, broadsword, quarter staff stage combat. Oh wow, we had full staff stage combat. I don't, I don't think we got to swords. That might have been stage combat too. See, and I mean that was really fun. Okay. We were we were stereotypical theater people. We would go around University of Miami's campus once we learned how to do hand to hand and oh, yeah. just in the in the cafeteria start pretend fighting. <laughs> and then once we got the swords, we'd go out on the field and like uh, sword fight each yeah. other. <laughs> That's such guerrilla theater. <laughs> yes, little do we know. We thought we were just being show offs, but we were doing guerrilla theater the whole time. But so why? And I went to an arts high school for yeah. theater. Mm -hmm. So I've been like getting trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and trained. And then I moved to New York. I guess I felt that I was highly competent. Um, and I would go, maybe it was auditioning and auditioning and not getting cast. Or maybe it was auditioning and getting cast. Like I did some theater production in like a church basement in Brooklyn. Um, like these are the types of things. Mm -hmm. So why did I do the Meisner class? Why did I sign up for it? I mean, I think that that, that feels very like, I mean, I you, you might have an answer, <laughs> but to me, I, I, I feel like that was always the thing. Like, oh, I feel like I need to know this thing. I'm going to find a way to learn it. I'm either going to go to a this class or I'm going to go to the neighborhood school or I'm going to go to Stella Adler or I'm talking about my own experience <laughs> um, or I'm going to work with an acting coach who then built her own studio and I come to her and I work with her because she's, and she's rooted in Uta Hagen, which is that HB Studios, right? So, like, I think that's part of, like, we are learners, right? And, and I, but I hear, I think what, I think what's interesting about what you're saying about, like, am I chasing, was I chasing something that I, was, is actually never attainable? This sense of it, this, yeah, yes. Ha ah, going back to this, this, this misdefined concept of artist mm. was I chasing the success of artistry. Ah. If I learn this, then I will be a successful actor. Mm. Oh, okay. Nope. I got to learn this. And then I will be a successful actor, AKA successful. And so in my mind, artistry is either attained or not attained. So I'm not an artist because I was not able to attain this make a movement piece which is mad because when I started teaching my kids, wherever I was in whatever school, my mindset is you are all artists. You are all creative beings. You all have a body and imagination. That's it. And how, what is it that you can't apply that to yourself? I, that's a good question. Well, nobody said it to me. So I, I misdefined it for 20 something years, but how was I able to so easily define it for them? Thank you for listening to episode 59, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Amanisha Ferdinand, Divine Self-Development. Join us next time for act two. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB and now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. 
like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.